Restaurant Unstoppable episode 474 with Stefan and Sophia Salties. I think it's the high energy, being on our toes, being ready to treat customers with a smile and to anticipate what they might be looking for. Are you ready for it? it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. There is no time to waste in the restaurant business, especially when an opportunity comes up and you need extra capital. Cabbage created a simple, flexible way to get a line of credit of up to $150,000, apply online, and get a decision right away. Withdraw funds when you need them without reapplying. Cabbage has helped over 100,000 small businesses. Get started at cabbage.com slash unstoppable you can get a $50 gift card when you qualify that's cabbage with a k line of credit is subject to credit approval c terms and conditions all cabbage business loans are issued by celtic bank a utah chartered industrial bank member fdic what's sorcery sorcery is ap automation digital invoicing and time and money saved that's Sorcery. Sorcery allows you to streamline and digitize your entire accounts payable operation. Digital invoicing backed with human verification will save you countless hours of work and increase AP accuracy. Say goodbye to your file cabinets and enter the digital world. Go to GetSorcery.com. That's G-E-T-S-O-U-R-C-E-R-Y.com or call 1-866-830-0691. And if you mention Restaurant Unstoppable, you will receive 10% off your first three months with no setup fees. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Sophia and Stefan Salties. Are you two feeling unstoppable today? Yeah, yes. we are. <laughs> We're feeling bulletproof. <laughs> yes. Beyond was, unstoppable. Well, man, you should because I was just here a couple nights ago with uh, Sean, Chef Sean Quaid and yep. Ronnie, and you guys put out an incredible service. The food was delicious. You're, Thanks. You're, you're catching cr- great stride in this new restaurant that just opened two months ago, so I would be feeling unstoppable too. Uh, and a quick shout out to uh, Tipsy for making this trip to Australia happen. I wouldn't be able to sit here without them flying me out. So thank you, Tipsy. And uh, sister and brother team Sophia and Stefan Salties have hospitality in their blood. Growing up in the two restaurants their parents operated, it was only natural for them to one day own and operate their own restaurants. And in 2014, they opened Francis Food and Coffee, a cafe dedicated to supporting local businesses. Their latest venue, Little Odessa, specializes in Eastern European food and local beers and they just opened two months ago to great acclaim i'm excited for you guys i can't wait to get your story to find out how you got to where you are today but let's get that motivational inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra what do you have for us eric we really like onwards and upwards mm. and i read that by howard schultz i'm not sure from starbucks mm-hmm. i'm not sure if he came up with it but okay. it works really well for us because it's just a get out of bed and go and yeah keep pushing yeah. So what, what do you think he meant by like those two words? It's so simple. Onwards and upwards. Like what it just get up in bed and go like what what is it really communicating, do you think? My interpretation is it's just pushing forward and getting on with it on with it yeah. and and also building it. Yeah. Keep keep pushing it forward to somewhere else, not yeah. just staying where you're at. And um for us that's I guess why we've opened a second venue yeah. to keep pushing and yeah. the venue's twice the size as, as our cafe and 
um, a bigger kitchen team and a bigger wine list. And yeah, it's just bigger in every way. So onwards and upwards. And Sophia, do you have any thoughts? You want, do you want to add on to that? Anything going through your head as he's talking? No, not really. That, that's pretty much it. Yeah. I think it's, it's that easy. You know, it's that simple and that hard, right? Because, you know, it's easy to say to show up and onwards and upwards and to be positive, but it's hard work. And yeah, it's, it's hard to keep on showing up like that. But I think, it, you know, as soon as you know that it's that simple just to keep on pushing through it, it will get easier as long as you stay positive and you have that mindset, like just, you know, keep showing up. Uh, powerful stuff. Yeah. So, OK, where did it all start with you guys? Like you grew up in the industry, right? Is that where it started? Like, uh, yeah, our yeah. parents were in the industry. Yeah. Mom was an international model. So okay. she spent time working in London and New York. Sweet. Way to go, dad. Yeah, 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 big time for sure. Yeah. She came back to Melbourne and I think she just saw a different side of things over in London and New York and and, um, got a different sense of style. Mm. So she opened up a cafe on a street called Ligon Street, which is a kind of Italian district area in Melbourne. Okay. So it was the first non-Italian cafe really of its time. It went really well for her. Um, She... Uh, got a lot of regulars and, okay. and was really well known. People still stop her in the street okay. and remember her from Paradiso days. She met our father and they bought a building on another street in the same area and built a restaurant, a two-story restaurant. Okay. Also went really well. Um, they reminded us that for three months it was very quiet and then they got a a big review and just went ballistic, yeah. super busy. So yeah, they had that restaurant together and, and worked really well as a team. And um, we didn't really grow up so much in the restaurant. We have memories of, you know, being upstairs and our dad counting, counting the coins and, um, you know, being, being around it. But we were so young, we were like yeah. six and nine. So um we didn't get a chance to work in the business, which would have been really fun. Okay. Mm. But I guess we still, at that age, you're so impression, you know, you soak up a lot. So yeah, I'm, I'm curious. One thing I like to do during these interviews is to kind of, you know, follow that chronological path. How'd you get into the industry and like yeah. what path you get to where you are, you are today from the outside looking in, looking at your mother and father, the characteristics, the characteristics they have, the, I mean, you said you weren't in the, the, the business day to day with them, but like, what was, what is it about your parents, their, their, their character, who they are, their values that you think made them successful? Well, they're hospitable people. They like to um, entertain people. I think when we had people around for dinner, they, they made an effort with it. Yeah. Um, they're, really friendly they approach people on the street you know we'll be at a bar with dad and he'll just lean across and start talking to the yeah. person beside him yeah so he's, I love he's it. yeah he's interested in in people and and what their what 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 their story is mm. um and i think my, that's a, a, a key part yeah. of it right there but like yeah it's amazing what, what, how many people will take interest in you yeah. if you take interest in them. Absolutely. And I think so much people want us to take interest in us. Like we approach somebody like, mm. hi, my name's Eric. This is who I am. This is what I do. Yeah. But if you take that approach of, hi, my name's Eric. Who are you? What do you do? Yeah. You know, and, and like it's almost like the natural uh, give and take is for them to now take an interest in you and start asking you questions. Oh, I own a restaurant. You should come check it out. It's not your way or whatever. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on reflecting back? Uh, the only the other thing would be that they're both very entrepreneurial. Mm. They were not afraid to do something on their own, to do something a bit different and yeah. take a chance. And they always pushed us to be like that as well. Yeah. They don't 
necessarily settle for working for someone else if you've got an idea do it yourself yeah how did they how how did they push you give me an example of a time that they pushed you to to lean into an idea or a thought you had or encouraged you to to take a chance i've got a really random one yeah go for it graffiti is a problem illegal graffiti (laughs) in Fitzroy is a big problem so years ago our father would say to us he gets on repeat a little bit he'd say oh what about you know a graffiti removal business okay it's got to be so you know a lot of money and a lot of work in that (laughs) and it's like you know that's that's his way of thinking it's like well how can you turn that into something um so every every turn there's a an idea for for doing something with it so did you did you go for it did you start the business no (laughs) no like his new one at the moment is because we're Ukrainian heritage, yeah. importing vodka from Ukraine. Okay. And chocolates as well. They do these like um, alcohol-filled chocolates. So that's, you know, the, the next venture. So, so always- funny enough, I just had somebody on the show, uh, Brett Olin, Lady like I'm sorry if I'm saying your last name wrong, Brett. But he's the founder of the food, the Vegas Food Expo. Okay. And he got to start exporting truffles in yeah. from, I can't remember, not Italy, but another uh, European uh, country and the trick of exporting or importing is finding uh, light items mm. with huge payloads so like a truffle too, yeah. super expensive but super light so you yeah. can get the payload is huge so just a little tip there yeah okay really, that's good to know to get into the importing business I tried uh, that I bought in yeah. <laughs> I bought in like three pallets of hop soda from Michigan yeah. and that's really heavy yeah. so I should have aimed for something lighter <laughs> uh, so any what, uh, Sophia any uh, thoughts coming into your head of uh, entrepreneurial like uh, the way they pushed you Not so much from them. It was just always an encouragement. Mm. But I do remember a similar story that relates to our grandfather that he thought because we had a ute in the family that it would be really good if we went into business mowing people's lawns. Okay. Because we'd be able to fit the lawnmower on the back of the ute. Okay. And drive it around. (laughs) So I think they were just uh, always uh, looking for opportunity. Families always like that. Yeah. That that if there's an opportunity, you give it a go and don't be afraid to step out on your own. And let's let's dissect this this first restaurant they opened. You said your mother was a model. She was traveling to New York, and she saw that there was a difference and uh, a need that wasn't being served. Like you know, there's a way that she could stand out. She, I feel like she knew that there was a unique pro- a selling proposition, which I think is a very like instinctual thing. Sometimes, like there's an opportunity to take what I know, what I've seen, and apply it where it's not being done yet. Um, any reflection on that? Yeah, I think so because. She told us recently that she wasn't nervous. Mm. She felt confident about opening Cafe Paradiso and how it would go. Um, even to the point that years later, there was a lot of development happening on the street and they yeah. were redeveloping the space she was in. So her business just completely fell off. People didn't notice. They were still coming in, but the sales dropped off. Yeah. And can you imagine? Can you imagine how... Um, kind of nerve-wracking that would be yeah. to have this booming business and then have sales drop off like that oh man yeah and i said to her we were you freaking out and she said no no they you know they found the next space the paragon on rathdown street in carlton and um just kind of transferred it over to there well, i mean and- i think that's a lesson in itself just that unwavering just like you know, just confidence and just yeah, in almost like self manifest or uh, manifest destiny, right? Yeah. Uh, if you if you get nervous and you start worrying about stuff, like you're gonna attract on that to yourself that negative energy. And yeah. Just stay positive and stay optimistic and keep showing up. Uh, yeah. There's it's so so like again it's so so easy yet so hard, right? Yeah. Um. So you grew up in the industry. Uh, let's get into the the point maybe when you guys are 
I don't know, like later teens, like thinking about like your life, your career, what paths did you want to take before knowing what you're going to do? Well, for me, I didn't finish high school. So it's age 17, I dropped out of school and knew that I didn't want to be a dropout bum, basically. Yeah. I wanted to work and earn money and yeah. travel. So why did you drop it? I'm curious. What uh, was- it just didn't agree with me. Yeah. I think I've always been quite stubborn and still am and independent. And yeah. I was interested in, in design subjects and building things with my hands. Yeah. And the education system in Australia supports that. But in terms of grades, it's not great yeah. for that. It's hard to do well in something you're not interested in. Yeah, yeah. They really favor maths and science. Yeah, standardized testing. Same way in the States. Yeah. Sophie's similar. We're both more creative people that Mm -hmm. like working with our hands. Our father's always had a a workshop out the back, woodworking shop. So we've built things with him. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it just didn't really vibe with me. And um, I think I thought I'll I'll just go off and do something else. Okay. And uh, our father had an apartment above this cafe in the city, his office, and he cornered the owner of the cafe in the elevator and said, this is going back to him not being afraid to talk to people in the street, yeah. said to John, my ex-boss, my son's looking for a job. Do you have any vacancies? And John said, yeah, bring him along. So I went in and met John, who was this really, really charming, really friendly owner of an extremely hip busy cafe in the city okay who said yeah i'll take you on so so you're like 17 18 around this yeah time 17 you're... okay working in the cafe yeah i'd done a little bit of mobile coffee work so coffee carts at the grand prix and the okay. air show and stuff so i knew a little bit about coffee and i went in and got a full-time job there and almost like an apprenticeship yeah in a sense. yeah in a sense yeah okay. i had you know so many mentors there that that taught me a huge amount. I was there for on and off five years. Okay. And so w- what year did you guys open front, uh, Francis or Francis? I don't know why I'm trying to put, make that sound fancier. That- <laughs> no, it's not, no worries. Yeah. Francis. Francis. <laughs> well, it's three and a half years ago. 2014. So 2014, 2014. How old were you when you guys opened that? If you don't mind me asking. So you put a time uh, on to I'm this. 28 now. So if he's 31, so there's about 10 years or you're 28 now. Yeah. So that was 2014. You said yeah. so four years ago, you're yeah. 24. Yeah. So, uh, there was six years of basically trying to figure it out before you committed to opening your own place. Yeah. Although we decided pretty quickly, I think I did some traveling and wanted to move to New York, which I did um, with my partner at the time for a little bit, realized Melbourne's pretty damn good. It's pretty awesome. I have to admit, I can say that because I've been here for two days now and I'm kind of upset that I have to leave tomorrow. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We're super fortunate to live here. It's got a lot going for it. It really does. So yeah, I came back uh, when I was 23, I think. And I'd worked in some cocktail bars and some high-end restaurants and a few other places. Okay, and so you're learning the standards of the industry. Yeah, of just trying to maybe add some more strings to my bow because I'd always worked in cafes making okay. coffee. So you're 23 when you're in New York or you came back when you were 23? Came back when I was around 23. Okay, so how many yeah. years did you spend at this cafe? On and off five years. On and off five so years. So a long time. And yeah, going- most people working there would leave and come back because yeah. it was a place where you could um, have your own personality, express yourself and yeah. get to know a lot of people. Yeah. Sophie worked there as well for okay. two years, I think. Longer in the end. Oh, on and off four years maybe. Yeah. So how, how close are you guys again in age? I'm just curious. I'm three years older. Okay, that's right. So, um, and I just want to kind of like paint the picture with uh, 
Stefan's story and then come back to kind of to see the track that you took and we'll, we'll meet together uh, when we were opening the first restaurant. So uh, any major takeaways from mentors that you had in the restaurant industry, people that you were working for, ways certain businesses operated versus other businesses, which ones were doing it right, which ones were doing it wrong? Anything you can reflect on and extract from those experiences? For me, it was learning from a variety of people yeah. and realizing what works for me and what doesn't. Okay. Because everybody is quick to give you advice. And I think some works better for you and some doesn't. So what worked for you? What didn't? The best thing I got from the cafe I was at was performing on the floor, I think. Being encouraged to get out there and communicate with customers. To greet them with a smile. To just don't hesitate and you know as our one of our mentors used to say attack 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 yeah if we were standing there and as soon as the customer walked in you had to be on you yeah know, it wasn't like a lot of venues you walk in and the staff will just stand there flat-footed we yeah. were very much Engaged, yeah, yeah we were on our toes nine hours a day um and everyone was treated equally customers that is and staff and you know it was just high energy um you come into our shop, you're now, you know, part of the family. Can you go deeper? Can you give like an example of how you should be engaging? Like uh, other tricks that you've developed yourself when you are, when somebody's walking in the door, like do you have any go-to lines or any specific like tricks of the trade that you use that you can drop For customers? Yeah. We like to just assume what they might be after. So instead Mm. of them walking in and saying, oh, I'm after a table for two or do you guys do takeaway or whatever question they might ask? We say, oh, hey, are you after a table for two? Or, you know, you initiate the interaction. Because otherwise, I don't know if you notice, there's sometimes that awkward kind of few seconds where it's a like, yeah. you know, a sort of a standoff. Like Absolutely. The, yeah, and it's like you walk on an airplane. I was thinking about this recently and the people greet you, the stewardesses and the stewards greet you with a smile and they kind of know why you're there. Yeah, you exactly. Know? Yeah, and, and you reminded me so much of a conversation I recently had with uh, Jenny Britton Bauer of mm-hmm. Jenny's Ice Cream, really well-known ice cream uh, yeah. operation. And she teaches her, her, I mean, you know, ice cream scoopers. Like these are, you know, very, like people wouldn't assume it's a very complicated job, but they're so good at teaching their people to to lead the experience, yeah. to to be the first one to engage and to, mm. to anticipate and to yeah. steer the conversation and yeah. to have that confidence. And when people come into your restaurant they want you to take control they're they're like they're on your yeah. ride you know and you, you've got to have that confidence uh, and you've got to steer the conversation you've got to anticipate those needs like you said it's yeah. so so powerful but it starts with you recognizing that it's your show yeah you know and it's your responsibility to, to take control of that absolutely because um, you're, you're in the confident position you spend five days a week there yeah. that's your your area yeah. so for me, when I go into a venue, I want to respect that venue and not just assume anything. I'm not going to walk in and just sit down where I want or click my fingers or something. I'm going to wait for the host or the bartender or the waitress or the waiter to come over to me and tell me what they want me to do, mm. where, where they want me to sit. And so, yeah, we, we just train our staff and make sure that we ourselves are treating people how we want to be treated when we go to a venue. Beautiful. Any other big takeaways uh, in the early years of you forming yourself into this this restaurant tour that you want to drop on us before we start talking about or before we cap- capture Sophia's story? One thing maybe is, I think we got quite caught up in the romance of cafes and restaurants, and what I mean by that is, when we, you say we, the, the two of you, yeah, okay. I would say so. Yeah, okay. 
Yeah. Do you agree? Probably, yeah. yeah. Okay. What I mean by that is um, I talked to another mentor of ours who's got some really big bars in Melbourne, big venues, like, um, up to 900 capacity type thing. And years ago, I was saying to him, I really want that small venue, just, you know, like a few seats and this, that, the other. And he said, it, it's just business. So that sounds like a lot of a lot of work and heartache. You know, you've got to realize that you've got to make the numbers. You've mm-hmm. got to, you know, you've got to bring the money in to, yeah. to pay your staff, pay your suppliers, pay your... And that was probably for us uh, an effect of staying with a small cafe for so long. You know, I worked at some other bigger venues, but the majority of our experience was at small venues mm-hmm. um, where it was, you know, it, if it's going well, it's good. But if it's, if it's not busy enough, it's really tight. Yeah. So this mentor I spoke to with the big bar venues, he said, the bigger you get, the easier it gets. You know, the more volume you do, the more staff you can bring in, you can kind of... I think there's a lot of truth to that, but I think at the mm. same time, there's a lot of a challenge to that. Yeah. Because when you start small, there are some pros. Yeah. You can, you can, like the goal should be to grow, but... I think people get in trouble by taking on too much too soon and there's yeah. way too much overhead and they don't have their systems and processes, their culture down. They're still figuring out who they are. Yeah. Uh, people, especially today when it's so hard to surround yourself with good people, yeah. right? It's, it's hard to, to get uh, that foundation. When you're bigger, you need a bigger foundation. Uh, so if you can scale into bigger, you know, start small and let your cash flow and your people determine your growth. Yeah. Um, what do you think about that? I agree on one level, but I think we underestimate as um, hospitality people, our ability. Yeah. So for us, we started very small with mm. the cafe, Okay. but by so, day five, we were ready for more. We were ready yeah. for twice the amount of seats and yeah. it did help that our overheads were low mm-hmm. and we could um, take a gamble with the cafe and definitely with Little Odessa, it's way bigger. The overheads are much bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got to get bums on seats yeah. to survive. Yeah. Um, but we've found the growth and trajectory of Little Odessa to be much quicker and also much easier mm-hmm. because we can bring in more customers and we can accommodate different groups. And um, there's more people in the kitchen to manage yeah. the workload. So with yeah. the cafe, we had one person in the kitchen. So as soon as it got really busy, there was a lot of pressure on them. Okay. So that. I think there's a there isn't a, a fine line. I think there Not. it's a, a something that you start small, but you leave plenty of room for growth. So yeah. on day, you know, or like on a, on like the the, the the second month, okay, like we've kind of worked out some of the nuts and bolts. We got an idea of like getting stride, but now we have room to take on more. Yeah, uh, but keeping it small enough that you can survive on a little bit of cash flow so you yeah. don't have to rely on a huge staff like yeah. keeping those expensive uh, those uh, those like you know those those prime costs as low as possible yeah um cool anything else you want to mention before we kind of pass the mic over to sophia and get her story up to this point no i think that sort of rounds it off in terms of knowing what i wanted to do it was probably getting comfortable at the cafe in the city comfortable enough to stroll out onto mm-hmm. the floor and start communicating with with customers and that felt really good. I think to push, it took me a year and a half for a year. I was so anxious and, and I used to try and hide out the back. Yeah. <laughs> they pushed me out. They said, go out and see that customer. You know, yeah. um, I used to cross my arms and one of our mentors would say, you, he would make a joke. He'd say, you're too, you, you're too muscly. You know, look, put your arms beside yourself and don't look, you know, you, you're kind yeah. of intimidating. Intimidating. Yeah. So, and there's a lot about body language too. Like, yeah. Uh, the, the, what you're communicating to somebody with your arms crossed, your clothes, your reserve. You yeah. Don't want, like there's mm. so much that you don't realize you're communicating. To Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I think once I found that confidence to just really fly in the environment, it was like, wow, this is, this is high energy. This feels great. Mm. I'd love to do this for the rest of my life. Awesome. So is that when you kind of made, this is when you're working for yourself already? No, this was at, um, sorry, oh, this was at okay. the cafe I was at for five years. So that was, that was the moment. So take me to, take me to the actual time. Is there a moment when you, when you thought to yourself, do you remember that moment? No, nah, I didn't, thought? I didn't have that aha like moment. I think thing? it was just a, a connection between being brought up, like we mentioned earlier with that drive to go out on our own and build something yeah. um, with that connection with hospitality and feeling, feeling lifted by by the industry and, and that environment, you know, feeling, I remember feeling a confidence at work that I didn't have in social situations, you know, and I saw that with other people I worked with, they were so confident out on the floor, but then put them in a, in a party environment or a bar somewhere, yeah. or they, were, they were quite different. So it really allowed you to, to elevate and, um, you know, take on another persona, be a performer. Mm, cool. Um, so if you could just, narrow it down to like one or two things that you love about the industry and made you want to commit to it. What is it? Be specific. Connecting with people that is staff and customers mm. and being able to grow it, being able to open a second restaurant or yeah. open it. You know, there is, there is potential to do more. What is it to, to connect with somebody? What does that mean to you? I want to know their story. I want to, know what what their life is about and and why they do what they do and what makes them tick yeah you know like i find you interesting you you kind of travel the world interviewing (laughs) people and you know it makes you tick so it's like and we can relate on that because i don't want to disappoint you man yeah (laughs) (laughs) Uh, seems like an all right gig yeah it's all right you know getting by um Cool. Well, I think we spent some t- a good, uh, you know, time getting to know who you are and your story. And yeah, I'm gonna uh, pass, the let's mic. pass it over. So, uh, so when he's 17, uh, you're 20 years old. Uh, yep. Does it start before that point for you? Like, when did it start for you? When, how far back do we have to go? Or- oh, I don't know. I had a very different lead up to it. Um, I went to university after high school. Uh, okay. And spent. You're the studious one. A re- yep. Yeah, she finished school. <laughs> yeah, no, I rub that in when I can. Um, yeah, and I actually did an undergraduate degree in, and a master's in design subjects and uh, worked different jobs while I was doing that. I did retail, I did design, I did a bit of everything. So I didn't have the same kind of commitment early on like Stefan did, I don't think. Um, but I always, yeah, I worked in pubs and I worked in the same cafe Stefan did in the beginning. Um and kind of it was in the background. I guess it was kind of natural. Yeah. It was a for now job to, you know, get you through until you figure out what you really yeah. wanted to do. Right? Well, I didn't, I didn't, I, f- I think it's what we've noticed is that it, some people are natural at this and a lot of people have to work on it, mm. being sociable and being aware of the hospitality aspect and just being naturally hospitable isn't necessarily um, easy for some people and I think for us it is mm. so I always when I worked in these jobs I didn't it wasn't that difficult yeah do you think do you, was it your parents maybe that, that just because of them always being so willing to engage and to to serve to be hospitable is just more natural probably I think it's our family in general our, yeah. our grandparents were very hospitable okay. when people came over to their house and it's just something that we've always done and we go to restaurants and our father would encourage us to uh, talk to the servers. And so we've, yeah, our whole family's quite hospitable, I think. Yeah, I think that's a great lesson that we can 
give our children at a young age. I don't think we do it enough. You look at kids today, go to restaurants, and they, they're pacified with tablets and, mm. and just like, mm. what are you doing to your children? Like, you know, I, that, maybe that's a, a conversation for another day. <laughs> but uh, it's like just the social skills and social and emotional intelligence uh, is learned from those ages from like two to five years old. Yeah. It's like the key time when you learn those things and it becomes natural for you. Mm. So don't rob your children of that time of making them, forcing them to engage with people. Um, so, so important. So uh, you were talking about um, you were going to college, uh, you were uh, majoring in design and uh there was two parts to that, design and... I did um, industrial design okay. initially with a focus on furniture and I've got a master's in graphic design as well. Okay, cool. So, so I was there for ages. Okay. So in your, at what point, I guess, I mean, you were working in restaurants, I, same thing I did with, with Stefano, were there any key mentors, any key lessons along the way in some of the restaurants you worked that you, you can like draw on that you, that you apply day to day? Well, there were quite a few common ones for us with the cafe because it was the same people. So we, that kind of attack thing, we do that to our staff as well. Um, We had slightly different, um, I think, interactions with our boss, John, mainly because Stefan came on as a young man and I think he took him under his wing like a son, whereas I came on and initially was more attached to his sister who worked in the business first and Mm -hmm. then progressively he... John's sister? Yeah. Okay. Because he had family working in the business. Okay, got you. And then um, eventually he put me in a more of a managerial role. A role. So I think we just have different relationships for that reason because I was okay. a bit older. But I, the pub I worked in as well was a family business. Okay. And um, kind of, again, they used to get me to do a lot more than the other girls. Okay. I don't know whether it's because often they're a lot younger than I am, but for some reason I always ended up being – the responsible one. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we're, I think that's something uh, that happens when it comes up often in the show. People who tend to do well in the sense are the ones that aren't, that don't need to be told to do something. They mm. take the initiative. And when you're constantly putting yourself in that situation of I'll do it. And then you learn that new thing and then I'll do it. And then you learn that new thing before you know it, you know how to do everything. We're, I mean, I'm making an assumption. I don't want to say that's what you're doing, but do you think that played into it? Was that something that was happening with you? Yeah, a little bit. Um, I did a lot of everything. I think in most of the places that I've worked at um, because I was happy to give anything a go and yeah. Do you think that contributes to how your, or do you think your parents contributed to that, that, that constant reinforcement encouragement to, to give it a shot maybe? Yeah. And also they, there's a bit of a, why don't you just do it yourself? Thing if you want them. it done right, or not if you want it done oh. right necessarily, it's like oh, no, I think there is that. <laughs> yeah, our father does everything himself, painting. You know, it's, it can be dangerous, and he'll still do it himself. <laughs> he can't help himself. It's a it's a migrant thing. I don't know, but yeah, it's a combination of if you you could do it yourself and get it right, but also it's easy. Why don't you do it yourself rather than pay someone else to do it? Okay, I, I guess I get that. Yeah, which is not always the best way to go about yeah, it. Yeah, I think that, like everything in life, there's no clear cut. When you're first getting started, like get out there and do things, learn. Yeah. And, uh, you've got to know the entire business, mm. how it operates, uh, before you can start delegating to somebody else. Because yeah. uh, what happens when you surround yourself with a team of people who all has their lane, and then all of a sudden they start leaving, and you have nobody to fill that role? you got to step in temporarily yeah. to alleviate that area that needs attention until you can find somebody new to take over yeah. um, so it's it's mm. good to know how to do everything but eventually yeah. you replace yourself with people so yeah you can focus on other learning new things to, yeah. to take it to a new level um so what are some of the so you're working the cafe when did you stop working there 
We I worked there all the way up until six weeks before we opened our cafe. Yeah, it was quite. I was I had been working there off and on for a while, and then I was working there full time while I was doing my masters. Okay, and and the, the so between the cafe and the pub were the two uh, hospitality venues you you were working with. Other things were missing. Uh, oh, I did the coffee cart a few times mm-hmm. with you, but no, there were, a lot of my other stuff was retail and design. So, okay. yeah, it wasn't a huge amount of hospitality. So up until you started opening, um, Francis, uh, you, you were working at this cafe. Um, what were the biggest takeaways? If you could just drop them on us before, before we kind of talking about, uh, we were, the- as Stefan said, always on our toes. We we're always ready to go. Yeah. So if someone walked in the door, you immediately were ready to say, I mean, it's, you have to learn how to do it because it's emotion. It's kind yeah. of emotionally, physically taxing to be always on. Absolutely. But it meant that we got used to the idea that for nine hours we could stay alert and work through that. And it wasn't an issue. Um, and yeah. I think that was the the kind of main thing, but also the uh, the amount of communication between the staff. Like everywhere I've worked, because they've been smaller venues and often family run, everyone's always talking to each other. So we don't have sections and you deal with your section, I'll deal with mine. We all talk to each other and we all help each other mm. and we know what's going on in, in the whole venue. It's that situational awareness of where yeah. everybody is. Um, so what is what does good communication look like? Dive into that further. Uh, I annoy the staff by constantly telling them what I've just done and what they should do. Um, even little things like I just went to table two and topped their water up, you know, so that they don't go back over 30 seconds later and do the same thing. Yeah. So it's constant talking. P- painting that visual mm. and making sure everybody is on the same page as to what the situation is at this moment. Yeah. And um, in the cafe, it was a lot louder. Uh, Stefan and I used to just yell to each other about what tables needed and what coffees were needed. Where. Yeah, that's in, in our cafe. Yeah, I I I like that approach personally. I like the. I guess it all depends on what you're going for, what your ambiance. Well, you, you came in and had dinner here a few nights ago, Eric, at Little Odessa, and yeah. I just leant over the bar and said, "Can I? You want a beer?" Yeah, you know? and yeah. That, that. I mean, maybe that won't agree with fine dining fine dining service, but you know, I, I think I, it's still the idea of standards. Uh, as long as standards are standard within your four walls, and you keep things standard within your four walls. Is who cares what other people are doing? And that's kind of my like. Do your do what you want to do. Yeah, you know what works for you. Whatever your guests like, do what you like. I don't know if I necessarily believe in industry standards all the time. Yeah, um, but I mean, well, I, I sized you up, and I thought he's going to be fine with that. Yeah. But the customer X that comes in, maybe they won't be. So I'm going to walk around the bar and do it. Yeah, you know the way they expect it to be done. Yeah, but yeah, it's case by case. Absolutely, and that's a big part of it too. Reading people and. Yeah. I think that a lot of that's just instinctual. Uh, I don't know if you can give advice on that. No, not really. I think you can <laughs> encourage people to think differently about it. I did a short acting course with two buddies of mine and the first class, our takeaway homework was to people watch, mm-hmm. be on a tram, be on a train, man, wherever. That sounds like a lot of fun. How I, good is that, man? I'm, it was like the best homework. I love people watching. <laughs> yeah, I know. You said that to me. I'm like, I yeah. do that. I was working at the cafe at the same time. So I just spent my days at the cafe watching people, how they communicate with each other, what their body language is saying. I started reading books on body language because um, it all helps. You can't tell me you've read books on body language and not give me some like nuggets, some bombs of knowledge on like what good body language oh, is. Oh, there's ones that I think things. people know, like mirroring. Yeah. You know, you, if they cross their arms, you cross your arms. Yeah. 
I tend to stand side on when I talk to people. Like yeah. You mentioned that earlier, yeah. the front on thing. And that was from watching one of our mentors from the city cafe that we worked at. He would approach people, but he would always stand side on and communicate with them and, you know, sell them sandwiches and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, they're, they're two nuggets right there, I guess. Yeah, those are good ones. Yeah. Uh, sorry, bringing it back to something. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Uh, so... At what point, I mean, at master's, right? You have a master's degree in design in, uh, like, when do you say, well, you know, screw that. Like, <laughs> like what, what happened in your life? What, what, what made uh, you come to the dark side? <laughs> well, I had been trying to get work in design for almost a year, I think. Yeah. Um, and uh, still working in the cafe full time and Stefan had moved back and there's not a lot of design work in Australia mainly because we are so close to the Asian market and so a lot of stuff happens over there. So I kept working in the cafe and Stefan came back and we started talking about venues. And I think the really the only time that it felt like it was going to be real was when we found our cafe in the first place. So it was kind of like you you saw the space and you were like, "Uh uh-huh, like... Like a, well, I'd, I'd seen it previously. I'd been in there and I thought it had potential, but I didn't know it was on the market. So I'd said to Stefan, there's this cafe around the corner. He was in another room. We were yelling at each other through the wall. <laughs> and uh, I said to him, there's a cafe around the corner that looks very interesting. Um, I think it's new. And then he yelled back, that dumb cafe you were talking about is on the market. <laughs> Don't say that. <laughs> you tell me everything I talk about is dumb. So I, I'm sure that's what you said. And, um, There's a sibling. Stuff coming out. <laughs> yeah. And so we went and had a look at it and it all looked really promising. And I think that was probably the moment that we, it became real because we do do a lot of talking. But I think until we actually lock it down, it kind of just feels like talk to me. So, so at what point are you thinking to yourself, Let, let's lock this down? How did that look like? In a t- uh, moment. Uh, well, when he agreed with me that the space looked interesting, that was good. We knew, that was a promising point. And then we went and had a look at it. And after seeing the bad shape that was in but the potential that we could make with it and kind of going into the financials that's when we realized it was it was a real possibility Mm. so what made you want to do it what was what was fueling on the inside to 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 walk away from your career the money Uh, that you spent and by the way you you i was now i bet the the tides have turned when you're (laughs) taking jabs at him like i finished school it's like well i didn't and now we're partners in a business yeah Yeah. that's right i keep telling him that i'm squirreling money away into a swiss account he doesn't know about um i was I think I was getting tired of working for somebody else. And I think Stefan was the same, that we had our own ideas and we had our own notions on what we think should be happening, but we were aware that this was somebody else's business, not ours, and we didn't have the right to make these changes. So, yeah, just wanting to make our own decisions. And Well, Stefan's favourite point was being able to choose his own music. (laughs) I do like that. So yeah, I do like making a playlist. <laughs> <laughs> and what? I think for mine, it was, um, I started to get frustrated with the constant change. Like we went through a period at the cafe we were both working at where it wasn't necessarily doing as well as it had been. And the boss was making a lot of changes and he never let 
them last long enough to see if they actually worked. Mm. And so my thing was, well, I want to just commit to one thing. And if it doesn't work, that's fine. But I feel like you've got to give it a good go. If it's not, give it three weeks and then change again. Yeah, or just forget that you may change and let it like, you know, drift back to mayhem or wherever it was before. Um, So one thing I am curious about before we start uh, kind of diving into how you made it happen and what that looked like. Uh, and kind of how we have evolved to where we are today. How do you think you counter each other, or or how how are you the complete picture as far as strengths and weaknesses, and like what lanes are you in? How do you guys decide that how, how that works? Divide and conquer. You get the staff. I get the uh, finances. Your PR. I don't know what my counter is to that. I think it happened naturally. <laughs> I think we didn't really sit down and say, you're going to do this, I'm going to do that, and yeah. it's going to work out well. We were probably just well, lucky that it worked out the way it has. I believe when you're a sibling, you just kind of know, like, yeah. well, I'm better at this, you're better at that, and you know, you focus on this, I'll focus on that. And it, it, you don't, It's unspoken. You don't have to say it. I mean, I'm thinking about how I act with my brother and sister, and like, I, like we would just start doing... Mm. what we do we would yeah. just know like i'm gonna be over here or you be over there yeah oh. yeah I, I suppose you're right i i thought that we would have to have that conversation because i'd heard about families trying to work together and yeah. not working out for yeah. whatever reason and maybe that's which i think is bullshit by yeah the way. I, when people say don't go into the yeah i think it's bullshit too man <laughs> yeah. i think you know if anyone's like we've had fights in the past but we wake up and go to work the next day that's a good point too like yeah. When you have a, a business partner, you get a and you get in a blowout. Yeah, you it's, it's too easy to walk yeah. away. It's too yeah. easy to, to walk away when you're with family. Mm. You probably grew up, mm-hmm. you know, getting in fights, and you just learn how to shrug it off and go, yeah. "Let's get back at it." Yeah, um, there's still, I think, there has to be an awareness. Like I'm quite pig-headed and like to get my way, whereas Sophie is a little more <laughs> easygoing, yeah. and so. That works well because she allows me to, like I just did then, grab the microphone. You know what I mean? Like She's happy to do that. But I think if she was like me, it would be a nightmare. Yeah. And so, you know, credit to her for just being patient with me. Mm -hmm. Uh, It just happens to work out that way. And and she's happy to sit in front of the computer and enter invoices and stuff, which would drive me berserk. Um, I'm sure she's... Like, you know, she wouldn't want to deal with the staffing stuff, but I'm kind of happy to. Like, I enjoy the She's challenge. making a face like she yeah. doesn't like centering numbers yeah. and invoice. Yeah. So, uh, well, she doesn't me. complain about it too much, so I'm going to run with that anyway. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I enjoy dealing with staff and trying to get the most out of them. So that, that kind of works out really well. So you guys decide to take over the space. Uh, I'm curious, what did your parents say when they when they got the news? That you oh, they, they would have been ecstatic, I reckon. Yeah. You know, we've we got to read between the lines here because our old man will be like, are you sure? Is it the right thing? You yeah. Know, sort of um, just testing us really. Yeah. I think that's his approach. And mum's just super supportive as mum's mm-hmm. generally are. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, they lent us the money. Like, without them, we wouldn't have been able to do it. And they were they would come into different spaces to check them out with us. Mm-hmm. You know, we looked at a few other spots, and they didn't really click with us. And, and then um, Francis popped up, and so found it, and we went and checked it out, like she mentioned. And it kind of happened very quickly. We thought, yep, yeah, let's do this. Let's negotiate a better price for mm-hmm. it and um, close it for a couple of days, paint it, give it a fresh look. Um, find a chef, et cetera, et cetera. And from the day you purchased the space to the time, the, the time that you were in business, how, how much of a gap is there? It 
got drawn out because the landlord and his lawyers were paying the ass, to be honest. Oh, okay. Yeah, so the guy we bought it off, he was happy for us to start trading earlier than settlement, so we did that. But it was like four months. It was like It's a 19-seat cafe, so it really got drawn out for way longer than it needed to. So that gave us a chance to, like I was working in a little coffee shop at the time and Sophie was at the cafe that we both worked at in the city. So it's yeah, still had, not a long time from, you know, purchasing to doors open. Yeah, four months I guess not. It felt longer than it needed to though, yeah. really, because it's... Turnkey operation. Yeah, yeah. They were just, they wanted to get out. The yeah. buyer was just desperate to get out. Oh, that's a huge lesson right there. Why are those good places to get into? Yeah, well... We didn't really go about it in an analytical way. We didn't look at what the area was doing. We didn't you know, look at statistics or anything. We just thought that's a small space with a lot of light coming through it. There's windows all yeah. around it. We can do that on our own with one more person. We know the area because we grew up around that area. It was a gut, gut, gut kind of thing. I think that's another key thing to go to where you have roots. Um, when yeah. people know you in that community and you're opening a business in that community, yeah. it really helps prime the engine. I think so, but I would put it out there not to rely on that, mm. definitely, because mm-hmm. you just never know what people are going to do. So, for example, our parents live in an apartment nearby with, I don't know, 300 people in there, maybe more, and they don't really come in because <laughs> it's just not on their way. Like, they yeah. go the other way. Yeah. So, in the beginning, we had posters up in the building, and but... They just, some of them do, but not many. Okay. So, yeah, back in the day, we were relying on that. We were like, for sure, they'll come in. Like, they know our folks, yada, yada. But so, looking at this four month period that it took you to open, in, in your mind, that was a long time. What things could you have done differently? How could you have gone about that situation to have expedited it? Is there anything? It was, was it out of your control? Mm, good lawyers, definitely. We used a friend who um, his daughter I went to high school with. So, he's a good lawyer, but I don't think he'd done much in the way of contracts okay in that nature so yeah finding someone that's used to dealing with that that sort of um arrangement because the lawyers for the um landlord just dragged their heels and basically racked up more fees for them so knowing and expecting that probably we if we were to do it again we would expect those kind of things to pop up and be ready for them yeah um because that's just what dragged it out we were ready to to yeah pretty much grab the keys and, and close for a week and renovate and start trading. Okay. Uh, Sophia, during this time of opening, any key moments, any takeaways, uh, things you would have done different, things that surprised you that you wish you had known before getting involved? Uh, not so much. I think it relates a little bit to what Stefan was saying, but we tend to have expectations that people will be like us and they're not like we had an expectation that the landlord would think, Oh, great new people coming in. Um, you know, maybe they'll build the business back up, this will be great. But instead, he just thought, well, how can I make money from this? So, and we, yeah, we just had expectations that he and the lawyers would just try and get things done so that it could change hands as quickly as possible. But that's not what they wanted to do. Mm. So what would you have done differently? I don't know if we could have done anything differently. I think it was a learning experience. Yeah. That we'd never encountered a landlord that would behave in this way or lawyers that would drag things out to get a lot more fees. So it's something we learnt from. And if we next time we have landlords or lawyers to deal with, we're aware that they may. we just need to deal with them in a business-like manner and be prepared that they may have a different idea of how the process should go. Okay. 
I honestly don't think it's worthwhile dealing with challenging landlords. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't take on another space with a landlord that's impossible to work with. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's worthwhile, and I think you would just... It's hard yeah. to know sometimes, too, what you're getting yourself yeah, into. Yeah, so do your homework yeah. as, much, you know, as, as much as you can. Talk to that cur- the current tenant. Like, why are you leaving? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Talk to the neighbors, yeah. everybody. Like, yeah. do your homework. Yes. Yeah. yeah, we, like Sophie said, we just assume that people will do the right thing. Yeah. And you just can't assume that. Yeah. Okay, so uh, some of the things we already kind of t- tapped on a little bit uh, was uh, kind of wishing you started a little bit bigger. I mean, I think we kind of already talked about it. It's good to find that sweet spot where it's small enough for you to handle without losing control or like uh, letting the expenses get away. Uh, but you also want to have enough um, uh, enough going on that you could have excess cash flow to to grow to scale. So uh, talk to talk to us through that that growth period. I mean, we're here now four years later. Mm. Uh, you own your second location. So how did you get to that that place where you could open the second location? We were only eight months into Francis mm-hmm. when the opportunity to do Little Odessa came up. Mm-hmm. So that's so what, you, early what days. month did uh, did in two thousand fourteen did uh, Little or sorry Francis open? December. Okay. Yeah, December. So almost two thousand fifteen, basically. Yeah. So the beginning of two thousand fifteen, we'll say. So you know, you're looking at the summer or sorry, your winter mm. of. Uh, was well, I can't do math. July. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. July. Yeah. September. It might have been even. So July of it was uh, just very early on. Yeah. Um, it's only like a year and a two two and a half years ago. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. It's taken two two years to open wow. Odessa. So what are the biggest hurdles you hit opening Odessa, knowing what you know now? Um, council. Council. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Well, we had to get a, what we call a change of use because this place that we're sitting in now was a beauty clinic. So it didn't have a food license mm. or a liquor license or trade waste agreements or, you know, okay. this goes on. So we had to hire a consultant and go through that whole process. And you pretty much just put on a pile of papers on someone's desk and they'll get to it when they feel like it. Mm. So yeah, we just played the waiting game and it's not a really, we couldn't give you a nugget of info to, to make it any less painful. Just make sure that you can control your costs and the rent's yeah. not too high and maybe try and get a good, rent-free period and you thought four months was a long time to get something yeah <laughs> yeah and i mean this is just a it's a 50 seat wine bar yeah so then again it's not um yeah we're not trying to put like a skate park in here or something yeah like so yeah we just luckily we had the cafe to keep us um, busy and it gave us time to play around with the menu for here and mm-hmm. experiment and um yeah. What about building your team? That's something I was really curious about because, uh, like, right right now, like, what are your roles? Like, are you still finance, back of house, uh, management, or like the the um, the I guess the the managerial stuff? The the yeah, I do all the. Admin. I'm on the floor. Uh, I do all the finance and accounting as well. Um, I liaise with the head chef a bit more than Stefan does. Okay. Um, Stefan does the wine list. He's the basically the bar manager okay um and yeah he deals more with the marketing and pr side of things and finding the staff okay so one thing i was curious about uh you had uh, your, your chef is great by the way it was a, a delicious meal uh in a, in a market sorry were you gonna say something okay uh in, in a market where it's so hard to find people how did you hang on to this this person for i don't know when he, you got him interested was it two and a half years was this on his radar and how did you not lose him during that time? 
We're probably lucky that he's a stayer. He just, uh, I think he he just likes to stick around. Yeah. So he put up with us and the cafe for a long time yeah. before here because Nathan made some food for us at the cafe. We did a few nights mm-hmm. a, um, a week. We tried that out at the cafe because we had two chefs at the time. Okay. So Nathan's food was ace. Yeah. People were really enjoying it. So that gave us confidence that he would work well in Little Odessa as a chef there. So was Little Odessa kind of being formed with kind of giving opportunity to him? Was he kind of yeah. maybe your, yeah. your go-to from the, the beginning? Yeah, we thought um, he'll probably work out really well because we, we knew, had an idea of the kind of style of food. We didn't want it to be too fancy, too, yeah. you know, broken down mm-hmm. and tweezered. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So... Yeah, he was always in mind, but he stuck around at the cafe working in, in the little kitchen there making avocado toast and stuff, which, you know, must have been really frustrating for him. So, I don't know. We just, yeah, like, he's a nice person. We're nice people. I think he likes working with us, and, yeah, he's stuck around. It's crazy to think we're already 53 minutes into this conversation. Time goes by fast. Mm, uh, yeah. Anything we haven't discussed up to this point, before going into the speed round topics, uh, areas of expertise, knowledge, things that were key in opening this, this space where you can really just kind of enlighten us. I think questioning things a fair bit. People say, oh, don't overthink things. I think that's crap. I think overthink things a bit sometimes. Yeah, I think it's a balance. Like, we, like we've said so many times today, like trust your gut, mm. but then question your gut. Yeah. You know, challenge your gut, but trust it. Totally. Yeah. Well, I went to a, it was called Hospital Game Changers in Melbourne. It was a, conference put up put on by Dimmy and a few other companies yeah and there was a guy that um is involved in a, a company here that owns 60 restaurants and he's an old school operator in this company and he said that they don't go on gut anymore they go on statistics yeah you know look at what the area is doing and I thought that's so interesting mm-hmm. because I feel like Sophie and I can learn a lot from that because we are, I think we're old school thinkers. We just go on gut, mm-hmm. but it does make sense these days to really look at the statistics and what, what's happening. What's funny is your gut is statistics and people don't mm. think of it that way because what's happening is your mind is constantly collecting data. Yeah. It's constantly, you're feeding the low road of your mind that we don't quite have access to. Yeah. It's there and it's just constantly being influenced. Like, like Sophia was mentioning earlier, our mind's so elastic. Uh, this was a, during the pre-interview chat, uh, but we don't have complete access to all of our mind, like the the you know, the subconscious p- part of it. But it's there collecting information. Yeah. So it's that gut feeling you're getting is actually your mind yeah. communicating, giving you a feeling that this is what you should do because of the data I've collected over the you know 26, 29 years I've been mm. around. Like this is what I know. So yeah. it, it's weird. Cause, so I I feel like that's why there's a balance. Like trust your gut. Yeah, but then at the same time, don't just make rash decisions. Challenge yeah. it and like yeah. look at the look at the data, or look at the data and then trust your gut. Yeah, let your gut challenge the data. Yeah, like, is this right? The numbers might be saying this, but is it right for us? Like we're yeah. different from them. Um, sure. Know. Well, I, with Little Odessa, I was thinking in terms of staff, let's get a bar manager that's got a lot of cocktail experience. For a while, I thought about it, like weeks. I was like, is that the right thing to do? Mm. Taking on someone full-time, the salary, the will there be enough cocktail ordering for them, et cetera, et cetera. And, and then one day I thought, no, let's do it differently. And my gut said, boom, that's the right thing yeah. to do. And I just remember feeling easier about yeah. it, you know? Yeah. And 
that was the right thing to do because we, we sell more wine than, than cocktails. And I think the cocktail bartender just would have stood behind the bar being super bored. Especially when you're just getting started too. Like you want to keep yeah. your operational costs as low as possible. Yeah, but then you freak out. You yeah. want to make sure you have everything yeah. in place. So, you, you know, with the overthinking, you, you, you staff it up a lot and, you know, you think it's all going to happen the way you think it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And like you say, it, it just doesn't. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, anything you want to add to like big takeaways, Sophia, things that we ha- haven't discussed that we could discuss that you could, you know, slap on some value? Uh, I think we've also learned not to sweat the little things too much. Mm. I mean, we've gone through a lot of building work with this with this restaurant as well and you kind of have to make compromises and you have to kind of not get too caught up on the little details. We're perfectionists, so we have a tendency to do that, mm. like little things annoy us. And what we learnt was in order to get things open and in order to keep things costs correct – we needed to give up on a few things and let a few things slide. Cool. Awesome. Um, I have nothing to add to that. This has been a really great conversation up to this point. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back for some knowledge bombs. I don't know why I call them that. It's so cheesy. Everyone loves processing invoice after invoice. It's the best. <laughs> Not really. Just the sight of a filing cabinet is enough to make you sick, right? It doesn't have to be that way. With Sorcery, there's no more manually processing invoices by hand and no more cutting check after check. With Sorcery, you can organize all of your accounts digitally, scan your invoices, and pay your vendors with just one click. It is easy. Sorcery offers fully managed accounts and statements reconciliation, so you no longer spend hours on the phone with your vendors and banks that stinks. You now have the peace of mind knowing your accounts are being taken care of, and you can get back to work doing what you love, running unstoppable restaurants. Go to GetSorcery.com, that's G-E-T-S-O-U-R-C-E-R-Y.com, or call one 800 Six six eight three zero zero six nine one. Mention Restaurant Unstoppable and receive ten percent off your first three months. And say goodbye to your old filing cabinet and hello to the digital world with Sorcery AP Automation. To be unstoppable, most restaurants require a little extra capital from time to time. It happens, right? Uh, when you need funding to like renovate or buy equipment or manage cash flow, you don't have time to just track down financial statements or wait weeks for a decision. And that is where Cabbage can help. Cabbage gives small businesses access to a line of credit of up to $150,000. And if you apply online, you'll get a decision right away, which is pretty awesome. Since Cabbage is a line of credit, you can take the exact amount you need. You'll never have to reapply to take out additional loans, and you only pay for the funds you use. Yeah, you're impressed, and I haven't even gotten to the impressive part. Cabbage has helped more than 130,000 businesses from every industry with over $4 billion in funding. Like, awesome. Cabbage is A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau and was named a Forbes Top 100 company not once, but twice. Check out Cabbage at Cabbage with a K dot com slash restaurant unstoppable and you'll get a $50 gift card when you qualify. That's Cabbage, K-A-B-B-A-G-E dot com slash restaurant unstoppable. Line of credit is subject to credit approval, C terms and conditions. All Cabbage business loans are issued by Celtic Bank, a Utah chartered industrial bank member, FDIC. We're back. And the first question I have for you is what's is your it factors or are your it factors, I should say, uh, traits, habits, characteristics you believe most contribute to your success? I think it's the high energy 
being on our toes, being ready to treat customers um, with a smile and to anticipate what they might be looking for. Do you want to add anything to that, Sophia? Uh, attention to detail. Like it's we go beyond with the service what most people would do. Beautiful. Uh, what is your biggest weakness? Perfectionism, overthinking. Yeah, those things. <laughs> uh, what is one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process when you're recruiting that team? We look for a little bit of nervousness because that says that they care about what's happening. Yeah, that's a good point. Do you want to add anything to that, Sophia? No, that's pretty much right. If they're too comfortable, I feel like they don't really care enough or that they think this job is going to be easy. What if they're really confident and enthusiastic? We have had over-enthusiastic staff before and they don't really fit with us. Okay. Like I can see how that works for other people, but we're not to in it our style is not to like bounce around behind the bar and chat to everyone and kind of be that over the board yeah, over top i hear so. that well dude tiger wood said that if he's not nervous before a game there's something wrong yeah so i think that nervousness is yeah i think it cuts through all of that so yeah like if that really confident outgoing person showed a, a, a little bit of nervousness then we had we trialed a guy the other night and he was very confident but I could tell that he was nervous and he, he even said it. He was like, I'm kind of nervous and yeah. you know, but that, and yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 So we're, we're getting him back. Cause like he, he made quite a few it mistakes goes away with time. And totally. Uh, there's, um, <clears throat> excuse me. The, uh, so I was commercial pilot and during the commercial pilot training there, we do a lot of like human factor studying yeah. and stuff like that in the humans perform at their peak, like their, their optimum level under a small amount of stress, a mm. small amount of nerves or whatever, yeah. because you're, you're alert, you're, you're, you, you care. And it's when you get confident and complacent where your performance level really suffers. So there, there it is good to have that, that little bit of nerve, that little bit of like, like, you're like, I want to do well. Like I got, you know, cause it's just creates alertness. Um, yeah. I mean, there's the balance like everything, but yeah, I hear what you're saying. Uh, what's your biggest challenge today? Managing costs. Managing costs. Yeah, wages. So how are you how are you tackling that? Probably in, in the design. Like we designed this restaurant to be manageable with a low amount of staff. There's not too many nooks and crannies you have to keep an eye on. Uh, we also work in the business, which helps. So it allows us to scale the business um, whilst working in it. Yeah. I, you know, and uh, there's a thought I had, uh, we we're talking about the original restaurant Francis, mm. uh, and how it was too little. And there was yeah. like, you, there was hard to scale cause there wasn't no room for scaling. But yeah. I feel like this is kind of the sweet spot yeah. where it's enough for you guys, the two of you, plus a few more additional staff yeah. to really crush it and handle it well. Yeah. But it's also enough that if you need to slowly remove yourself as things really start mm. getting out there and press and you regularly start getting formed, uh, now you have those like you can slowly remove yourself from the business. Yeah. Maybe create opportunity for those you're bringing up. Yeah. Making them into managers and all that, and then maybe go on to the third location. Absolutely. So, We're already noticing that like two months in that we can leave a little bit earlier, yeah. and yeah, it's you know sometimes staff come in for four hours and it works for them. So mm-hmm. yeah, there's a lot of flexibility. Uh, share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. I'd say stay on your toes. That one, yeah, the expectation that 
there there is the awareness. Um, like we we ask a lot, but we give a lot. So definitely just um, expecting that they um, put aside what they might have in their outside life and just bring their A game. You know, it's like a team sport we're in basically. So get on the court and give it your all. Mm, I like it. Um, my only thing would probably be that uh, in always when you go over to a table, ask if you can get them anything else. Ask how the meal's going because if you don't ask, they're not going to tell you. Mm, I dig it. Good stuff. Uh, what is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? So standard within your restaurant, not standard within the industry. To not be afraid to use your voice to speak out over the bar and see if yeah. the table three meters away wants another drink. Yeah. You know, to break through that that um, traditional way of service yeah. that says you have to approach with your hands behind your back and Absolutely. ask if the syrup, you know. If that's how you want to run your operation, don't be mm. afraid to be unique. In, yeah. You know, if that's the kind of, yeah, like, if that's the kind of energy you want to have in your business and if that's yeah. what you, like, yeah, teach your, teach your staff to do it that Definitely. way. Definitely. Sure. Why not? Uh, what are you, were you thinking, Sophia? I oh, I've lost you. it now because he talks for too long. <laughs> <laughs> if it comes back uh, to you. Uh, I have lost it. Thanks, Steph. Sorry. Want me to ask the question again? We'll come back if I ask the question again. Uh, share one uh, uncommon standard of service you teach your team. Well, I tr- think it probably links a little bit to Stefan talking about, you know, using your voice, but kind of owning the floor a bit. Like mm-hmm. it, this is the restaurant that you work in. You're here five days a week. These people have never been here before. You know, you welcome them like they're coming into your house. You greet them, you seat them, you know what's going on. You kind of lead them a bit. Cool. I like it. Uh, share an online resource or tool. Well, there's so many good ones. We use podcasts a lot. So we've been listening to the Guild of Sommeliers. Okay. Learning more about wine. Okay. Because we are now very much about serving wine. We don't have a coffee machine at Little Odessa. So what's wine focus? What's one big lesson you've learned from that podcast? One big lesson would be to just find your way of talking about wine that relates to your customers. There's no, seems to be there's no clear cut way. Um, I've listened to a few different psalms with a huge amount of experience and some of them describe wine like it's um, music. And so for me, I've learned that I just need to experiment and try things out and see yeah. what resonates with the customer. Exactly. Yeah, because I think a lot of this, this sort of self-help and the advice you get, it, it doesn't really work to try and just cookie cutter it and, and do it. You've got to just go, hey, that, that seems to be working for them. And maybe the biggest takeaway is to think, well, they've gone on their journey to discover what works for yeah. them. And you see the best sommeliers and it's first seek to understand, then seek to be understood. Like yep. collect information, listen, mm. observe. What do they, you know, find out as much about what their, their preferences are and what their, you know, whatever it is and then use that to make recommendations. Yeah. Don't force it on them, you know. Yeah. Uh, is there anything crossing your mind, Sophia? Uh, well, my favorite thing, which really only relates if you have a merchant terminal in Australia is Tyro. So they are the company that supply our merchant terminals and they have an app that allows me to, you know, access it and access the accounts and things. And it's just been super smooth. Dealing with them has been great. Beautiful. Awesome. What's one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant operator? Once again, so many good books to read that add strings to your bow. I think, you know, of course, we've got to say Danny Meyer setting the table. Yeah. Like I listened to that as a podcast, uh, as an audio book driving through Russia. <laughs> 
and it was just like, man, I, I actually couldn't wait to get back to Melbourne and start work, you know, start our own place. And what, work. What's the biggest lesson from that book? That if you could draw one, so many, but get specific as to why that's a good book. I think setting that high standard. I, th- I heard this the other day that it, it, Danny said that what he does is a little bit dangerous because it is that, that standard that can easily kind of fall off. You know, yeah. some people say it's easier to hit 60% all the time than it is to hit 90%. Mm-hmm. And we can relate to that because of that style of service that we provide, that high energy all the time service. You've got to find those people. So it, it does require more effort, but I really enjoyed listening to, to Danny Meyer say that it's just what you do. Yeah. You know? It kind of reminds me of that Mario Andretti quote, uh, who's a famous NASCAR driver. Uh, if you're, if you have control, you're not going fast enough. And so I think it's, finding that sweet spot, like right mm. on the edge of losing control yeah, uh, and staying there. But I get what you're saying too, where uh, consistency is also really important. Yeah. So like if you have such crazy standards and somebody's really good at going that speed and not losing control, but not most people are, yeah. then how do you stay you know, consistent? So yeah. it is a matter of finding like the, the mean, the average of like where your team can do well. Yeah, um, without burning out at yeah, the same time. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, anything else you want to add to that list, Sophia? No, not really, to be uh, honest. Okay. Not that I can think of right now. Okay, cool. Uh, what is one piece of technology that you've adopted that's influencing operations? So this is like in the restaurant, like a, a new tech software, hardware combined that you're using reservations, POS, things of that nature. We're using a point of sale system now and it's the most kind of advanced extensive system we've ever used okay and we definitely see the benefit because we've come from small family run businesses little cafes that either write stuff down or they have like a an old cash register where you know you just punch the buttons and yeah so there's no really record keeping uh and we definitely see the crazy advantage to having well investing in a really good point of sale system so which platform as is called impos okay i-m-p-o-s Why'd you go with that platform? I'll be honest, we got it secondhand. The car didn't work out down the road from the cafe. So we looked, I mean, they all seem to be quite similar in what they do. Yeah. Um, Impost works for us, but the other ones that we looked into before Impost were equally as good. They just seem to have either different colors or slightly different setups. Honestly, I do think that uh, across the board, the the systems are getting much better. They're much Mm. more competitive. Yeah. Um, I I don't know. I mean, there are, it depends on what you want at the end Mm. of the day, but it, it's having one is better than not having one. Yeah. Well, ours is yeah. a cloud based system. It's hardwired in, which is also really great because we've got a cloud based system at the cafe, which can be painful sometimes if, you know, the internet mm. cuts out or whatever it might be. I wonder how, how is Australia? I mean, I don't, I'm not sure how familiar you are with the U S market right now, but how is Australia in regards to their cloud, their cloud based uh, POSs? Are they a little? Are they struggling? And is it not there? Uh, we we changed to one which is a close to our cafe, which they're pretty good. They use I'm terrible with technology, but they use like gaming technology. Okay, so it, it loads quicker. Okay, because we're using a super old iPad, which doesn't help. But okay, yeah. Since we changed to that cloud based software, it, it seems to be okay. So I know they've come a long way. The cloud based POS mm. systems, and I almost re- I, I I prefer them over the clunky. Uh, like we call them legacies in the states. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, but, our internet isn't great in Australia. Okay. Compared even to Russia, I've been there a couple of times, yeah. and it was like wild how fast the internet was yeah. there. Whereas we're, you know we're in Australia. Yeah. And you just yeah you struggle with yeah. um. 
I figured it was gonna, like these tech questions were going to be kind of uh, unique in Australia because there's the markets are mm. you can't get any. I mean, you can't get further away in distance really. Um, in, yeah, just different markets. <laughs> yeah. So it's going to be yeah. like what I've learned interviewing like 400 plus restaurant tours in the states. It's like take that away and like wipe it because like you know totally different market out here. So yeah, interesting stuff. Um, okay, the last question I have for you. It's a big one. You ready for it? Ready. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom you know to be true that you can leave behind for the good of humanity and your legacy. What would they be? Give it a shot. Be nice. Have fun. Do you want to add your own three? Uh, oh, they're pretty similar. Don't sweat the small stuff. And yeah, that, uh, I've only got one to add to it. We'll have four between us. Okay, <laughs> that works. Take it. <laughs> awesome, guys. This has been a great conversation. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to join me. Thank we, you. Oh, my pleasure. We wrap up every conversation by calling someone out. So yep. who is an independent restaurant operator, somebody you admire and would love to hear their story as a guest mentor on the show? We want to mention Zach Oaks, who is our coffee supplier for the cafe. He's got okay. a coffee company called Profile Coffee. Okay. It's kind of cutting edge of what we call third wave coffee okay. in Australia. And he's trying to do really interesting things. He's about to open up a concept cafe within the roastery that he has. Nice. And he also does mobile coffee stuff, but I think he's doing some really interesting stuff. And Zach Oates. Zach Oaks. Oaks. Yeah. Look out, Zach. I'm coming after you. And uh, let the folks at home know if we want to follow you, uh, maybe connect with you. Maybe uh, we want to move to Australia or maybe we're in Australia and we want to come work for you. What's the best way to connect? Yeah. So our Instagram, I'm terrible with stuff, is uh, at Odessa Fitzroy. And I'm going to say the Facebook is the same. You can tell we have other people to do this for us. <laughs> um, and the website is www.littleodessa.com.au. Okay, beautiful. I'll have the links in the show notes. This is episode... I'm not sure what episode yeah. it's going to be. <laughs> you make us feel better then. <laughs> Just head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash Sophia and Stefan. Uh, I'll have the links all there, summary of today's discussion uh, in the, the show notes. And Sophia, Stefan, thank you again for taking the time. Thank uh, you. Thanks, Eric. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Mic drop. <laughs> there we go. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Stefan and Sophia, Salty's crushing it. Thank you guys so much for joining me. Some great lessons in today's conversation. I think the big one for me that stood out uh, is the idea of just going after it. Um, whether that be achieving your goals or literally going after your guests on the floor and uh, not waiting for them to ask for something or uh, complain about something, but literally you know, just engaging and taking lead and being proactive and controlling the situation i feel like once you kind of understand that the dining room floor is is your playground and you own that and the people that come in to your area are looking for your guidance looking for you to to take control 
it's much easier to then take control knowing that this is what they want from me. Uh, just really own that and just, you know, read the body language. I think there was some great advice on just body language and uh, some, some awesome stuff today. Uh, great conversation. These folks are some good people. I actually had the pleasure of sitting with them. Uh, I actually went out to dinner with uh, Chef Quaid and Ronnie, my first interview uh, four episodes ago. And I got to experience firsthand the hospitality. Uh, they're great folks. Uh, man, uh, this whole trip, everybody in Australia, everybody in Melbourne has been amazing. And this is the last of the four interviews I was able to record in my short time in Melbourne. Uh, just want to say again one more time, thank you to Tipsy for making this possible. Uh, if you guys are interested in Tipsy, it's a great platform. Check it out. Uh, it's all about sharing knowledge, just like Restaurant Unstoppable is all about sharing knowledge, putting it in one place. Uh, they're more skills oriented, uh, detail stuff. I'm more big picture. Tell me your story. But if you guys haven't heard of Tipsy, go check it out. Uh, they are responsible for my four interviews while I was in Australia, and I'm going to try to. Uh, there are a few leads I got that I weren't able that I wasn't able to get to materialize. I'm hoping that. Uh, we still have a few more Australian and uh, Melbourne interviews coming through over the next couple weeks. All right, guys. Um, that's all for today. Like always, please email me, Eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. Instagram, Twitter, Eric Catchtory, Facebook slash Restaurant Unstoppable. Tell me who you want to hear from. Tell me what your challenges are. I'm here to go to work for you, but you got to take that first step. I don't know what you want. You got to tell me. Uh, keep those five star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. They help so much. But the best way to support what I'm doing here at Restaurant Unstoppable, this mission of empowering the next generation of independent restaurant operators, is by sharing knowledge and just creating this melting pot of mentors. If you want to support that mission, Please share this podcast with anybody and everyone you know aspiring to be great in this industry. Let's create a community around this sucker. I'm ready. Are you ready? Let's do this. All right, guys. Until next time, peace out.